I was actually surprised at the high level of opposition to the strike in Syria by President Trump. I know polls are coming out showing somewhere between 50 and 60 percent of people supporting the strike. I actually thought it would have been higher um, because the, if you look at polls of other interventions that we've done, uh, with the exception of the intervention in Libya, the rating was all higher. And I think that's just I think that's just a reflection of the partisanship, because I can't imagine why anyone would oppose a strike on a single target um, aside from, you know, concerns about Assad and, and overthrowing him. But that's not what the objective is of the strike. Talk, just talk, because that's what we do here, friends. Malcolm Out Loud Talk. Welcome to the show. What I'm hearing from experts is some of this tension now with Russia is building, which I kind of think is a bit ironic, actually, Ryan, when you think about it. Uh, Trump has been accused of, uh, you know, being in the same bed as uh, Putin since this whole thing is uh, his campaign and through the election. Yet that's exactly if that was the case, he wouldn't have done this strike against Syria and gone against Russia, would he have? Right. I said on Fox that his critics are making it sound like he's so tied to Russia that you would have thought he was about to fight Rocky Balboa. It's like it's just so over the top. Now, it's one thing to say that Russia might have preferred Trump to win, but then it's another thing to make it sound like he's a KGB agent. And if he's a KGB agent, he's the worst KGB agent of all time, uh, because one of the biggest demands of Putin in Russia was that the U.S. go along with their agenda in Syria. That was right at the top. And Trump did a complete reversal of his long-held positions almost overnight. I'm still in shock about it. Um, But as for the tensions with Russia, I would say that Trump wisely uh, prevented it from getting out of hand because we called them 90 minutes in advance and get your people out of the site. Assad's forces were able to get out of the site. So only a handful of people were killed. Uh, So we are the most humane war fighters on Earth. I've never heard of a country doing that. And a lot of what Russia is doing is just really a repeat of rhetoric that happens on a day to day basis. Just no one notices it because Russia is not the topic of the news at the time. Yeah. Well, they almost had to. It was a little strange, as you say, that they were making the calls and stuff to Russia in advance. And then Syria was able to flee, get all the in fact, all their planes were saved. They moved them off the base there. So just some uh, collateral damage on the base uh, and structure was damaged. But then I heard like a day or two later, weren't they using the base again, Ryan? They are. Assad's forces are. You see, we didn't want to damage the Russian airplanes with Russian crews. I understand why. We may have to eventually, but you want to do as minimal as you have to to get the message across before you start escalating. Uh, But the strikes were just targeting the chemical weapons delivery systems. Uh, We had a good idea of where the storages were, of where the hangars were, and so about somewhere between 15 and 20 of Assad's aircraft were destroyed, uh, but the Russian ones were not. The runway was not destroyed because you just don't use Tomahawk missiles for that. And so Assad is continuing to use the airbase, but the actual chemical weapons delivery systems were hit. So that, that actually, the way we did that, that limitation reinforced the message to Assad and Russia that we are not militarily pursuing regime change at this point. Do you have any doubt in your mind that uh, Bashar al-Assad was not the one to use chemical weapons? Any doubt in your mind that it wasn't uh, Bashar al-Assad? None. Absolutely none. Um, The U.S. saw the aircraft that was flying that released it. 
uh, that it, that rebels don't have aircraft. Um, it was sarin gas, which is more advanced than the mustard gas, the 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 more uh, less sophisticated chemical weapons that you can just make in a, in a lab. Um, so that it, it overall doesn't make sense. And there's reports out there explaining the chain of command now. And Assad's forces have done this so many times now uh, that if Assad wasn't behind it and his forces were just accidentally releasing it or something, that then he should have recalled those weapons. Um, at the very least, these weapons were distributed among Assad's forces. But Ryan, why would he take a chance at this point, at this early juncture? Why would he take a chance uh, with the chemical weapons, knowing that, you know, you're, it, was, it was a little risky for him, I think, uh, to play that handout already. What, do you think there was any strategy behind it on, on his end? Sure. Uh, if I was him, I would have done the same thing. If I was an evil dictator in his position, I would have done what Assad did. Uh, because you have President Trump come in, who is more lax on what you're doing that, than even Obama. Uh, Trump's rhetoric was explicitly even ally with Assad in order to beat back ISIS, leave him alone. So you feel like you have greater freedom, and you also want to test that. Right. And so you would w launch a small chemical weapons attack, and as horrific as this was, it was relatively small compared to what chemical weapons can oh, do. Yeah, and there were only about 90 people killed, and it, it was horrible, and include 20, 25 kids. Um, but it, that's the size of a, uh, of a good test to see where Trump stands on that issue and how serious he is about non-interventionism. All right. So you think it was uh, strategic in, in placement and, and you believe that now you don't think Russia knew about the chemical weapons playing out, do you? That he was I think they probably did. The, wow. the Russians had such a heavy process at the air uh, presence at the air base um, and they keep track of all of that. The Russians and the Iranians actually have a joint. Uh, war headquarters where they oversee the war. So it's it, Assad kind of controls his military, but so does Russia and Iran. And then right after the chemical attack, the hospital nearby was blown up. Mm -hmm. And it, we know now that Russian drones were were uh, doing surveillance of them before it was blown up. So it looks like Russia was not only just involved in the chemical weapons there, but also the cleanup operation after. Now, with Trump, you said a moment ago that you were sort of surprised and taken back with these uh, maneuvers and this decision that he made. Talk to us on that a moment. Why the change? Well, first of all, with the fact that you were surprised, I think a lot of people were actually. What do you think Trump's motivation at this point? Why the big change of heart? And as you say, there was a track he was going down before he made this. this what was the deal? What was the, the undercurrent? Sure. Well, Trump has flip-flopped on most issues, but this was the one that he was most consistent on, even going back to the 80s, where right. he said, basically, don't don't get involved in these type of things. And his base liked him for it. Um, so uh, that's why I was so shocked. But Trump is not a warm and fuzzy, emotional type of guy. I've watched uh, many, many hours of him talking, and I've never gotten that that feeling, that emotional feeling from him. But then after he saw the video of the kids dying in torture— that was the first time I ever saw this real emotion, this angry compassion, you could almost call it, yeah. after. And that's when he said, I'm changing my mind. I don't want to be stuck in one position. And it was a different Trump I had never seen before. It was as if he was born again into an intervention. So is this a good that. Trump? Is this Trump that you just seen? Is this the, is this the Trump you want? Yes, for, for me, for sure. As long as he doesn't get reckless. I mean, he's, he's so all over the place that... I don't want him taking the wrong lesson from this, though, and then trying to do a strike on one target in North Korea, um, thinking that every single country is the same way and responds the same way.
Yeah, but I think I think the military advisors will tell him no, and McMaster, will, I don't think they're going to allow that to you. No, I, I think the way this was done, it was clear he was listening to his military advisors, which was was a concern a lot of a lot of his critics. They said, you know, is he actually going to listen to his advisors? Because there were many times he contradicted their advice. Uh, but when things got as serious as a military strike, as opposed to just rhetoric, when he's just kind of spitballing a, a speech, uh, he apparently did. Yeah, you got to remember that this is a guy who really had never been—he's never held a public office, never been in government of any kind, and. Uh, so, you know, what I got out of it, Ryan, is that this was like, I mean, it's almost like you could sense as it was happening, the emotions that you were talking about were very, very clear. But also there was this sense like, damn, we got some power here. Man, we're pretty good <laughs> yeah. here. Did, didn't you get, I, I got that total feeling that he went into the room like with his fist in the hand and said, yeah, we got a man. And that's what I kind of seen out of it, which, like you say, sometimes I can go to your head a little bit. But I I, I think there's enough good people around him to sort of taper that down. But, you know, this is a guy that comes from the private side of things that is probably now seeing that, you know, there's a little bit of might and power. And the decisions that this man makes, uh, these are very critical and key decisions, right? A lot of people don't really understand the ramifications of the decisions that he any one little decision has a major impact around the world, doesn't it? Yes, and I reacted the same way that you that you just acted out. <laughs> Send me a picture of that. Were you, were you doing that? <laughs> yeah, right. I was careful not to video it because what, as the information came in as to what we did and most importantly how quickly because I had grown accustomed to everything happening so slowly and then getting watered down and debated. And that's why most of the world views us as very, very predictable, somewhat as a paper tiger in paralysis. Um, and, and that's a sentiment that if you travel overseas, people will express to you. And to strike back within three days like that, it just felt so good. It was so refreshing. Well, we haven't seen that in a long time, Ryan. I mean, we haven't seen that in a very, very long time. Typically, we over-debate things and then we make the wrong decisions, you know, at the end of the day. Right. Or, or we draw a lot of – and that really was where the country, the trajectory of our military – I think what has bothered a lot of people uh, who pay attention to this stuff, Ryan, is the dismantling of of American military might. We've seen now the dismantling of our military really across the board. We're weaker than we've been, although, you know, we're stronger than what is out there. But, you know, it brings me back to uh, a lot of people are saying now there's a lot of similarities being drawn between him, him and President Reagan with the whole notion of peace through strength, which is, I think, has been America's, uh, you know, that's been America's uh, journey is peace through strength and the, the way we've been able to reach around the world. What do, you, what do you see? Are you seeing anything that gives you hope that this could be, I mean, you know, I mean, Ronald Reagan is gone, clearly, but anything that gives you hope that he might fill any part of those shoes? Not rhetorically, um, but maybe operationally um, because of the people he has around him. Um, I have some concerns about divisions with his, within his administration, but if he's listening to people like Dr. Sebastian Gorka, who despite all, all the criticism, if you look at what he actually advocates, it is a peace through strength uh, position. It's an ideological warfare position, uh, recognizing that you can't solve this just by killing your way out of it. Um, And that's what I've advocated uh, ever since I got into this field. Uh, So we have the best shot that we've ever had to actually wage an ideological war uh, that I still am hesitant because if he was if Trump was willing to flip like this in my direction on this issue, he could just as quickly flip backwards. Right. 
Um, so it remains to be seen whether there's going to be this broad ideological offensive against radical Islam uh, alongside Muslim moderates such as the Kurds and whether there's going to be this really detailed, aggressive, multi-layered strategy for that. Do you think it's possible at all, Ryan, that maybe this wasn't a flip? Do you think he's just uh, – and, and let me just play devil's advocate a moment. Do you think by chance he's just a good poker player? Uh, because you know how we always sold the the message that I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, and a lot of people got annoyed with that. Of course, that's one of the problems I've seen with our leaders and our politicians in recent times is, you know, they I, and it drives me crazy, actually. They get on the airwaves and they tell everybody, they tell the world what we're going to do, and they tell the bad guys even more so, Ryan, what we're going to do before we even do it, and they tell them that we're interested or not interested in bothering. And I mean, we should put the whole thing out there. It's so ridiculous. So... He kind of, you know, you know, it's crazy, man. And he took from that that okay, well, I'm not going to do that. Do you think there's any chance? I mean, think about that a moment. I because I've wondered this. Do you? Th- I I I don't know. I I don't know philosophically if somebody could make that kind of an enormous flip. Because I sort of agree with you, it was a big flip. But I don't know if he's really shown his cards. He's he's a pretty interesting poker player, I think. No. Uh, I see him as not having cards. I see him as having a whole bunch of cards <laughs> scattered around the table um, and then oh just kind of going off of his instinct and saying, what's the situation? What card do I want to play? I, I don't see, him, see a, a consistency in his philosophy, especially as of late, which in some ways works our national security because this was such a flip-flop. The whole world didn't see it coming. Most of his supporters didn't see it coming. So there's some benefits to that. I like a guy who's flexible. Um, and I like it when people change their mind, actually. A, good a lot of people will say, oh, it's a flip flop. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get locked into these positions for 20 years. And, and I've never really liked that. I like seeing someone who struggles with their positions and their philosophies and is really thinking about stuff. Well, that's an interesting point to put out there, brother. I've never heard it quite put that way, but that is a really interesting point. It gives you more flexibility, right? It yeah. allows you to play with, with things in the way, uh, you know, that you need to sort of. And uh, that is a very, very interesting point. And I, I think Trump is sort of like somebody who, well, let's face it, Ryan. I don't think anybody, I, I don't question, and I, I don't know if you question, but he's definitely an American patriot. I mean, he, he's a patriot. I mean, he, he loves this country. I don't doubt that at all for a minute. Um, so I think he's going to, my guess is, I, I think he's always going to try to do the right thing. I mean, I believe that. Do you have any sense of that? Do you agree with that? Or, Well, seeing the way he reacted to the video of the kids die, dying like that uh, gave me renewed hope. I wouldn't question his patriotism, um, but there have been times where I've questioned why he was getting involved politically to, the, to this degree. Was it about ego, narcissism? What, like, what was it about? And the reason, what really triggered that for me uh, was that video where he was going on and on for five minutes saying how we shouldn't b- say American exceptionalism. And I thought, well, if Obama said that, imagine what what, what everyone would be saying. You mean you mean who said about that? Trump. Trump, Trump if you look it up on YouTube, the, there's a five-minute rant where he starts talking about how he doesn't use the term American exceptionalism and he doesn't like like that terminology. And I was like, when, man, that, that bothered me. When about was that done? Do you remember roughly? 
whatever it was, it was it was in recent history. It was like okay. the past few years, I believe. It I was, thought it enough, was uh, I thought yeah. it was a while back, like 10, 15 years ago, for whatever reason. What I don't I, think so. I don't okay. think so. I mean, I might be wrong, okay. but. Well, I'm not yeah. sure either, but it is interesting. Well, listen, I totally believe in American exceptionalism. Make no mistake about it. I remember when Putin uh, put an op-ed in the New York Times, remember, a few years back and damned us for American exceptionalism. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the New York Times gleefully took it, remember, but he put the op-ed in there to sort of speak straight through to Americans. Yeah. You know, I was looking at the body language this morning, in fact, of Vladimir Putin and Barack Obama. And I got to tell you, they were two weird fellas. They, <laughs> they could not get I really I looked at the body language again of multiple pictures and. They were, and you could tell so much from the body language. I mean, you can see Putin steer him down like they're like three feet apart, okay? Right, two, three feet apart, right? Like yeah. right there, ready to shake hands. And you can see Putin look right into his eyes, and you can see Obama look away like a little cub. And you could see his hand sort of like reach out to sort of not really want to shake his hand, but like I need to shake his hand kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's really weird. And you see, yeah, some I've, of I've that. noticed that. Uh, just even the way Putin stands in every single picture. It's a clear, uh, what do they call it, the Napoleon effect? Oh, totally. When you're a short guy? Totally. Yeah, he, he's yeah. provocative. In fact, when you see him, by the way, stand on the side of Bashar al-Assad, who you know is as tall as the Empire State Building, uh, yeah. then you really get a sense that, you know, there, there's a big difference here. And a lot of guys like Putin don't like that, you know, when they're dealing with someone like Bashar al-Assad, who's so tall, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but also look at how skinny and weird looking he is. I, I, I mean, you look at a picture of Putin and Assad together, and it looks like a weird supervillain couple. It does. It does. It, it totally, it totally, totally does. But you know what? What I'm wondering now, what is it going to look like when Trump's near him? Because Trump is like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, I believe. And that's going to be another odd thing, you know, kind of situation. Eight, so what do you think is going to happen when the first summit happens, when when Putin meets Trump? What's that going to be like, Ryan? <laughs> Usually I like having some analytical answer, but at this point, I can't predict Trump. I can predict Putin. Right. I can predict how he's going to stand. I, I can envision it with that weird glare that he has. But you're going to be sitting next to Trump. I mean, imagine those two. They're going to have to boost up Putin's chair just in order to make him look somewhat equivalent. Just that picture makes it makes Putin look weak. And the yeah. energy is going to be the energy is going to be awkward. Now, do you think Putin will have a shirt on? <laughs> he's going he's going to have to for that <laughs> because like you that, see right? unlike obama who would probably just ignore it and might have like a little smirk trump would call him out and be like why do you have your shirt off why are you so insecure i'm beautiful compared to you like i could see trump getting into an insult war with him which uh, honestly m when you look at countries that are adversarial towards the u.s that's kind of how they talk it's over the top it's tough guy I, I prefer that dialogue in these circumstances. Right, right. Well, you have a very unique way of looking at things. I always enjoy your uh, your analysis. Uh, and uh, you just thank you. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, you come at things from a different vantage point. I think you're one of the one of the smarter guys on this stuff. Uh, quite <laughs> frankly, uh, no, because you step back and you you make some really good observations uh, instead of shooting from the hip, which a lot of guys do. Now, me. I tend to shoot more from the hip, so you're far more strategic than I am, brother. <laughs> hey, hey, but at least you were analyzing body language, though. So, I mean, I don't know. That, that, that's some pretty intense thinking there that I'm not used to coming by. Well, I, I have. I've really analyzed it multiple times, and I just did it today again. When I was looking at some of them, it reminded me of how that was. And I wonder forward how that's going to be because, you know, one thing about this, Ryan, is that it's hard to fathom, but 
you all have to understand out there that the political nature of the people involved, whether they like each other, whether they don't like each other, has a major factor in foreign it policy. It's crazy, Ryan. It does. Did you, if you look up the Bush and Putin dog story? Yeah. Are, are you familiar with this one? This is an amazing. So tell, at first, tell us, tell us. Bush and Putin were buddies at first. You know, Bush was calling Pooty Putin. I looked into his eyes and I saw they had a good soul and all this garbage. And that was just Putin doing the KGB uh, social manipulation on him. And everybody, everyone knew it but Bush. But then later on, when things started getting rough, um, Bush has a meeting with Putin and he says, oh, let me bring over Barney, my cute little dog. You got to see uh, my dog and how cute this dog is. And then Putin, either at that meeting or the next meeting, stares at Bush and he's like, I saw your dog. I want you to see my dog. And his his guides bring in his dog and it's this big, big dog. And he says to Bush, my dog is much bigger and stronger than yours. <laughs> wow. Wow. No, I did not. I, and is there a video on this? No, it's just talk, right? Yeah. No, that there's some interview where he he mentioned this. But then the part that he Bush did not say in the interview, but Bush mentioned in a private gathering I was at at, at a speech. The detail that he added was that after that incident, he called the prime minister of Canada and he's like, let me tell you what just happened. This is really weird. And he tells him the dog story. And the leader of Canada says to Bush, it doesn't sound like he was talking about his dog. Wow. <laughs> More of that story for sure. Well, you know, yeah. you, you think back to the days, again, of Reagan, Thatcher, Mikhail Gorbachev. Of course, that was when Pope John Paul was here as well. You remember that era right there, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they changed the world. That cast of characters, it's like a comic book sort of series, you know what I mean? And they changed the world. I mean, they, they totally changed the world in short order. Just those handful of people. But can you imagine a moment, Ryan, if those people didn't like each other? Right. The dynamic. Yeah, that's true. Because you've got to even just like each other just to build trust, and just to even have that occasional phone call where you're brainstorming. See, and that's what I'm saying. So, you see, we never had a chance with Obama, uh, Barack Obama, and and um, Vladimir Putin because they just hated each other. They, You know, Putin thought he was a little putz, like a little little toy boy, and, and, of course, Obama was like a little whimpering puppy. And so the two of them never were on the same page. They clashed badly. And it was kind of, you could see that all the way from the beginning. And, of course, you remember when Obama was running for his second for the re-election. And, of course, he makes the dumbest mistake and says with an open mic that he's going to have a lot more flexibility after the election. That, that, yeah. that was a historical comment, you know, by historical proportions that he said that. And to me, that should have kept him out of office for the second four years. But it didn't, Ryan. I never understood that as to how he got the nod. You know what I mean? And. And mm -hmm. one, I mean, because well, didn't that show his hand? Wasn't that clear that that showed his hand? That and I, I love when you turn on like MSNBC now and they're attacking Trump for not being hawkish enough on Russia. And I couldn't believe when I, when I turned it on, they were saying, oh, he warned the Russians and the Russians warned Assad's forces. We should have killed the crews. We should have blown up the Russian aircraft. And it, it just blew my mind that now the, the hard left network is saying that Trump needs to be more of a warmonger and basically risk getting into combat with Russia. And usually they're the ones that are always saying, oh, we're too aggressive. But because it's Trump and they got to attack him from some angle, uh, that's where they're attacking him from. And, and, and they don't even realize, you know, you were the guys that were also backing Obama, who is so weak on Russia.
See, a lot of what you're saying is the reason for that, Ryan, is because a lot of these, a lot of these cats are just so ideology-driven. They would, they would just go down with the Titanic in a moment, you understand? I mean, that's yeah. part of the problem I see with the media and the politicians. They're so damn ideology-driven. I mean, the head of the party could say, let's just all walk off the cliff, and I think they would all continue to walk off the cliff. <laughs> you know, they, they really are. They're like nothing but followers, and, and, ra- and, and it's very disturbing to me that nobody really stands up on principle, which I know annoys you to hell, uh, that people don't stand yeah. on principle. And they, don't, they don't stand for what's really right, wrong, and right. See, I'm a principle-driven guy so i'm not for sale you see and i of course i want my politicians to be that way too ryan which you know is an oxymoron because it doesn't really work that way you know i mean right in, in all standards so you're setting yourself up for a life of disappointment and depression uh, which which explains why i have to be at the shrink six times a day uh, you know? <laughs> I mean, that might explain a lot you know you know <laughs> politics is almost one of those kind of things ryan that you need to know enough to step off the gas and you got to shut the tv off because you can you can it can really go you, you do you ever do you get it to a point yourself where you got to shut it off, turn it off? Yes, because I'll get so obsessive with these things because I like studying every little detail, especially when it comes to these these conflicts. I've had I can't tell you how many times I've had like interventions where my family or my friends just show up where I live and are like, you got to get outside, dude. When was the last time you exactly. saw the sun? Exactly. And then there, exactly. But, but then there's people that I know that don't get out of it. And I don't want to go down their path. Like there's a lot of people in D.C. I know who weren't always crazy. Now they're crazy. We are excited indeed to be celebrating our one year anniversary here at America Out Loud. And we could not have done it without you. Well, in short order, we've become one of the fastest growing podcast and talk radio networks in the world. For all the latest news, entertainment, your blogging, and now web TV as we celebrate our one-year anniversary here, and we'll see you back at AmericaOutloud.com. Well, I'm not sure why we take our health for granted, but I know that many of us do. Include me in that company. Recently, I had a couple of health scares that got my attention real quick. I started a new product called Healthy Cell. I took it for about three weeks, and man, I started to feel really good. I found myself sleeping better at night, had more energy in the day, and less stress and anxieties, and just feeling better overall. Well, with those kind of results, I knew I had to do something, so I reached to the company directly with a request to bring Healthy Cell back to America out loud, and here it is. Well, typically, you'd pay $110 plus shipping and handling. Well, now you get it for just $79.99 for the monthly plan, plus Free shipping. That's right. They'll pick up the shipping and you pay just $79.99. Use the code OUTLOUD on HealthyCell.com or just click the banner on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Did you play Battleship as a kid? Uh, I play it as an adult. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Remember that Battleship game? It was one of my favorite games as a kid there. Pull that out and play with that. All right, so what happened? Put the crystal ball on a moment. Tell us what happens in Syria now. Now, we, it, it, Syria, is, that, is, that is ground zero. It's a mess there. What is your prediction, and what would you like to see happen? What I'd like to see happen is first have a, a three-part strategy for dealing with the refugee flow. Um, the way you do it is you build a safe zone in Iraq for the persecuted Christians and Yazidis in this small area of Iraq. Easy to do. It's just nobody talks about this option, really. 
um, and then also have a safe zone in Syria by backing a group called the Syrian Democratic Forces. They're sort of rebels, but that's the main force that's fighting ISIS right now and is marching on Raqqa. So I think that's very doable. And I also think we should back an independent Kurdistan. Let Kurdistan become its own country. I was there for a month or for a week uh, in January. I was so impressed with the people there. So those are the three things I would do. And in terms of the force on the ground in Syria that would build the safe zone, the Syrian Democratic Forces, we don't know yet if they would fight to the death to get rid of Assad. And that's a bit of a good thing because that means that we have a partner that may be willing to engage in a ceasefire, an indefinite ceasefire with the Assad regime. So we can say to Assad, look, the parts of the country that you lost, that's gone, buddy. You're not getting them back. But what we can do is have people govern that area that are okay with not overthrowing you. And that's that to me is the only shot we have. You know, there's, all right, there's been a lot of talk the past week or two here about removing uh, Bashar al-Assad, removing him from office. And in fact, there's been a lot of mixed talk with the Trump administration. You've seen that, right? Right? Yes. With Assad. I mean, very weird. One, one, one cat says this, another guy says this. You know, we see the Secretary of State says one thing. You know, the, the, uh, the um, military leaders say another thing. And here's the thing about it, Ryan, that, that I'm, I'm wondering is, uh, you know, we've seen what's happened there now. We know what the Arab Spring was all about. We know people are not understanding this, this, this uh, Islam problem. They're just not grasping it. The, the majority of folks, they, they don't get it. Uh, they truly don't get it. And then you see what happened when we, you know, Saddam Hussein saying the elimination of him, the, the, the elimination of Muammar Gaddafi. And you see what happened with the vacuum that was so significant. I, I seen it coming. I mean, I could see it coming. Right. Wouldn't that be the same thing right now to remove B Bashir al-Assad? Wouldn't that be the same problem? If you go for regime change, yes, absolutely. Uh, and there'd be a genocide also against the Alawite minority, which right. is where Assad comes from, him and his family. Uh, so that's about 11 percent of the country that would be facing genocide. Then the Christians um, who would be who some of them back the rebels, but mo most of them seem to be on the side of Assad, um, not because they like him, just out of self-preservation. So there'd be a genocide there. Uh, so regime change, I think, would lead to that disastrous scenario you're talking about. But can you have a dictator be compelled to leave without regime change? Maybe, not likely, but that's why the position of the U.S. right now is we want Assad to resign. He can go live a life of luxury in Moscow or something, um, but get him out and then leave the rest of the regime in would be the ideal scenario. I consider that to be unlikely enough that that's why I put forth this other idea of saying back the Syrian Democratic Forces, tell Assad, let them take over the areas that you can't control, and in return, they'll have a ceasefire with you, and we can move on, and, and we don't have to keep this going. See, I like your strategy right there. I, I, I totally understand that one, and that one I can, I can embrace. How does Russia play this out, Ryan? And can we work with Russia? Can the United States, you know, there was all this talk through the campaign, okay, that, we, you know, Russia and Trump and Russia and Trump, it got to a sickening point. And now here we are, and now we're sort of at odds here. And to me, it's that sort of a turning point almost. We're either going to work with this man or we're not. Are we to just throw any possibility away that we can't work with Russia? Or is there any possibility in your mind that we can? I think we can because it makes all the sense in the world for us to do so. Okay. Uh, but the ball is in Putin's court because there's a, a, there's been a lot of times where we could work with Russia, but because of his KGB Cold War era mindset, he refuses to. Like, he, like there is no 
rational reason for Russia to be backing Iran. That doesn't make or to arm the Taliban. But because they have that Cold War mindset, it makes sense to them because they're competing with the United States. Um, so that's what we have to struggle with. I'm more uh, among those that are anti-Putin like myself, because there's a lot of people on the right now that seem to be singing his praises. I'm still anti-Putin, but I among those that are anti-Putin, I'm more optimistic we can work with him. And that's because there's little things he does that people aren't noticing. For example, um, Putin has said that there are scenarios where Russia would no longer back Assad. They say our our relationship with Syria is not based just on Assad. That was a signal saying, you know, we might be able to work something out. But then more substantively, and this is something that doesn't get any coverage, Russia has actually backed elements of the Kurds um, and the Christians that are opposed to Assad. Right. Right. Well, and the reason they did that is because they recognize those areas of Syria that are not governed by Assad. Uh, they, they'd want to have some type of friend there. And that happens to be the same friend that we have. So I, I think that's possible since in some cases we're both backing the same party. Right, right, right. We could build on the people don't realize that Russia is very, very driven, uh, very positive to Christianity. You see the Christianity movement out there in Russia, don't you? I do. I'm not a fan of Putin's, though. Right. I know. I know you're not. I know. I know you're not. A lot of people aren't. I think that our best shot is to get him to the table. I have felt that way all along, and I think Trump is the kind of guy who can probably bridge an interesting relationship. I don't think Russia wanted him to win the election. I think that's a lot of rubbish. I think it's all overblown. I think there's a lot more to the story. Now, you may disagree with me. You you think they wanted him to win, don't you? Yes. Yeah. I don't. Sure. I don't see it. Why, why do you say that? Tell me what the bottom line is. Because if I were to take a list of the statements and actions actions of Hillary Clinton compared to Donald Trump, and I'm imagining being Russia, uh, there's just no contest. I mean, he, Trump was the most outwardly pro-Russia um, out of the two of them. And if you look at the comments that Russian officials would say about Hillary Clinton, they just absolutely hated her. Yeah, but she, they, I mean, they know she has no strength. I mean, she gave them a plastic button from Staples. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, what is that all about? And she did nothing with it. She's not a force. She has no strength. She doesn't come across well. So I, I just never seen where, you know, I always thought they wanted Hillary in there. That's what I really thought. I thought they played reverse psychology on, on America. I, th I That's my feelings. I think they fooled us. You don't. You don't I, I don't think so, because if you looked at the Russian propaganda outlets. Yeah. They were so much more favorable to Trump than than Hillary Clinton. If you looked at RT, Sputnik, you look at Pravda, um, they're all in one direction. And I started noticing before this became an issue, just even on my own Facebook newsfeed, I was like, there's a lot of people that out there suddenly sharing these Russian propaganda articles. And, and I don't know where it's coming from. And now the intelligence community says that Russia had these online robots distributing their their propaganda articles around. Um, so it was interesting to see that uh, I noticed this change and then find out that the intelligence community says, yeah, that was Russia doing it. So it looked like they actually did put resources into it. So but you feel somewhat you feel a little optimistic that uh, that Trump and, and Putin can forge some sort of a relationship. I mean, cer certainly better than than Obama and Putin. Sure. Yeah, they're starting off uh, at a better spot because of the things they've said about each other and because uh, pr primarily it's because Trump is not a democracy promoter. And the reason that Russia really hated Hillary Clinton, where it really hit the roof, uh, was when she was making statements about their fraudulent election process and she was delegitimizing Putin. And she made a comment about how Russia trying to conquer these territories where there are Russian minorities 
is similar to Hitler when he was saying, oh, I need to unify all the Germans. She made a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. So the implications are very offensive and, and you know, inflammatory. Uh, but I understood what she was saying. But for the Russians at that point, uh, she became a top enemy. See, I, I think America is at its weakest when we push our democracy and jam it down everybody's throat. I think we're at our weakest when we go out and continue to nation build, but we let our own country fall to pieces. I think we're at our weakest in all of these areas, Ryan, if we don't stand up uh, for the uh, principles of who we are. But also, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about gassing people and using chemicals. That, that, that there's some lines here that need to be drawn. Now, I'm not a libertarian by any stretch. I'm about a, I'm more in the likeness of a Ronald Reagan's foreign policy mm-hmm. um, in that way. Peace through strength. Absolutely. I, I prefer we have the strongest military on the planet. I prefer that, you know, we and we we have it in a way that we don't have to use it because people are scared. They're threatened by that. But yet and not so much scared, threatened, but there's respect, Ryan. Maybe respect is the better word. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure, sure. I, I think there's also a difference between ramming democracy down someone's throat and facilitating and assisting those who actively want it. Exactly. Like it, in the Kurds, uh, exactly. for example, I think are just the best example of a people that want secular democracy is what they say. I don't, Actually, I didn't hear a single Kurd say just democracy. It was always secular democracy, separation of mosque and state. And that's how the average Kurd I came across talks about it. I mean, ask an average American what they think a secular democracy is. They, they're not talking about that. They don't know that terminology. But the Kurds are longing for it so much and for peace with Israel that your average Kurd will talk about this and say, look, we want to be a model for the region, for the Muslim world and and bring everything into the 21st century. Yeah. Do you have any idea when they'll uh, do you have any clue at all or have you heard anything about when that first meeting will be with Putin and Trump, by the way? No, the last I heard was that the Secretary of State uh, said he will not meet with Putin. That came out today. Who, Tillerson said that? Yeah, Tillerson said that he personally, Tillerson, would not meet with Putin, uh, which is a slap in the face. And That's um, kind of dumb. Why you know what? You yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I know there's a lot of hawks out there that would say, yeah, damn right. I'm like, no. I don't know. What, what's wrong with talking? No. Like, like, why unnecessarily aggravate the guy? Yeah, but see, this is what's really dumb, Ryan. This is what I don't get. This is what the past administration did. Uh, you, you got to, you, you remember the old strategy? I mean, I learned it in corporate boardrooms over through my years before I, you know, became a radio analyst and commentator and uh, my own show and all that business. I learned that you strategically keep those people close by you and those people that, you know, are perceived enemies, if you will, or maybe they're not on the same page as you are. Keep them close by and you don't have to like everybody, but you play the card out in a very uh, unique way and you and you if you don't and if you learn to know how to bring those people into the fold you can do amazing things i've also seen people where they can negotiate and turn the tide on something and actually create some very uh, positive forces in a relationship that otherwise wouldn't have been there so my point is if you take vladimir putin right now as you said moments ago it's prime it's prime with that in trump I think there's something to play on. If Tillerson said that today, that is a really stupid thing to say. Okay, really stupid. Right, I I agree. I just, I just, I, I don't get it. And yeah, I also didn't get it when Bush would say, "I'm not going to talk to Iran or North Korea because we're mad at them." And I, it just, I, I never understood that. Even if you're going to talk to them, mm-hmm. and you don't think it's going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. What's the upside of having a position of, nope, not going to talk to you? Like, I just, it just, I don't get it. And if you, 
Also, when you meet with them, you can also make a show out of it. And if you really don't like it, you can embarrass them. Do you think Tillerson said that on his own mic, or do you think he said that with Trump's blessing? I have no idea. I get the impression that this is a very decentralized administration, so I'm inclined to say that he just kind of did it on his own. I think that's the case, because, and I'll tell you why I say that, because I don't see Trump saying that. Trump is a bit of a, he is, he's the prime negotiator. He's looking to make a deal out of everything. And he gets yeah. what you just said a moment ago, which is kind of what you like about this administration, is what you said, right, a bit ago? Right. Yeah, is that right. his cards are all over the freaking table. You can hardly find them. You know? Right. He's a, he is so flexible. And I can understand why for purists and, and I, I can understand why his base is irritated at him. Uh, but as a policy wonk, I love it. Well, they, a lot of them get irritated because they just want to pay, play the ideology card all day long, Ryan. I mean, that's yeah. all they get. That's all they're talking about. So really, that that's not what we're talking about here, though. So if, if Vladimir Putin and Trump can do some things, I think. You know, I think I think Putin has got to realize that the world is 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 really uh, our oyster at this point. I mean, there's so much more and so much uh, there. It's so much more beneficial for him. I have to believe that he's got to realize this, Ryan, to work with the United States and to uh, and to, um, you know, work with us in a unique way that I mean, let's face it, we got some enemies out there and we've got some very connected enemies with Russia. You know, some very yeah. – right? Yeah, I mean there's multiple areas where That's I can see us working with Russia between – I mean some of the times when Russia would bomb a rebel group in Syria and Russia would say, hey, they're jihadists, they're terrorists, and the Obama administration would say, no, they're moderate. Russia was actually right. They weren't right all the time, but sometimes they would be right. Um, the entities that Russia is backing in Libya are the same ones we should be backing. When Russia's reaching out to the Kurdish elements in Syria, that's what we should be doing. So there's multiple areas of cooperation that can happen. But I question whether Russia is so fixated on a competition with us that part of their reaching out to those positive elements is, is just to stick it to us. And then as soon as we say, hey, let's cooperate on it, they'll they'll switch to something else. Or Again, Iran to me is the best example because radical Islam is targeting Russia just as much as they're targeting us. Exactly. In, in some ways, it's a bigger threat to Russia than it is to us. But Russia still backs Iran and still arms the Taliban. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not on the same page despite what logic sh- should lead them to do. Well, Islam is after anything that resembles a Christian. And also you have the, the issues of Russia in Chechnya and just the long history of um, of Russian brutality there. So And Russia's geographic location. I mean, they're right there. If you're a jihadist and you want to die and go to heaven dying in jihad, I mean, Russia is a good target. And Ryan, they're not giving the Ukraine back in Crimea. You know that. I know. I, I mean, know. You, you all might as well, everyone might as well get over it and start stop staying up at night worrying about it. They're not giving it back. You know, and so we right. keep making that a point of contention. What I'm saying is at some point we have to, you know, I mean, there's there was a lot of Russian influences as a whole. Story. Was it right? No, it wasn't right. In fact, we had signed agreements with you. We, we, we let you, the Ukraine down. We screwed up Ukraine. You know that. I mean, we, yeah. signed, we had signed agreements that, with Russia that we would never do that. What we did to the Ukraine. Right. Right or wrong. No, that's that's true. And yeah. there's other countries I've got news for are also going to fall to the Russians like Georgia. Uh, but you also have to ask yourself, is it worth getting yourself into a fight that's just going to destroy the country you're trying to you're trying to save? Um, I would not lift sanctions on Russia yet for the Crimea issue mm-hmm. simply because it's leverage right now. And we've got them in a nice spot with this uh, with the what's going on with Assad. I put it on the table, though. 
You know, right. Yeah, I get that. But you know what? Do you ever notice, Ryan, when we're working with a country that's sort of a sort of quasi adversary like Russia? Do you ever notice when we have these meetings planned and strategic events and things and we're talking? Do you ever notice that there's less happening where they're being volatile and they're 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 it's less of them reaching out and doing like crazy things in the world? But yet. So what I'm saying is. We ought to fill their calendar up with all kinds of summits, meetings, and plans over the next few years. Just fill the, just bog their calendar down with all kinds of. They'll be. Let's keep them so freaking busy in our meetings and with wine. And, and yeah, we'll have them for a state dinner. Yeah, well, I mean, come on, sure, no problem. Let's get some. Let's get some business in. Let's. I mean, if we start engaging Russia on this level, isn't there a better possibility we can work with them? And, and I mean, we got to work with them. I mean, they're they're a nuclear force. They are they are the next major force in the in the world, and we don't have a choice, do we? No, I don't think we have a choice. And I also think one of the other thing that's interesting, another area of possible cooperation is with China. Russia, right. um, especially since 2001, has been basically allying with China against us. But Trump chose John Huntsman, the former ambassador to China, to be the ambassador to Russia. I thought that was interesting. Why, why would you want the ambassador to China to now be your ambassador mm-hmm. to Russia? That indicates to me that Trump's thinking of, a, of trying to bring Russia to us as a way to counter China. That's what I'm thinking is going on there. See, there's Ryan Morrow, the strategist. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. You'll find a whole host of shows and a great lineup back at AmericaOutloud.com. And also, get the apps. We now stream 24-7 on Android and Apple. Just look for America Out Loud Talk Radio. And so we are speaking again with Professor Ryan Morrow, National Security Analyst for the Clarion Project. And uh, we'll have all the links and the click-throughs back at americaoutloud.com again. Uh, and uh, Ryan, I, before the last few minutes, I just want to ask you this. We just sent a, a, I believe it was a destroyer out to Korea, North Korea. Did we not? We did. Yes, yes I believe it was an aircraft carrier. What do you, okay, an aircraft, what do you think about that? I mean, what, what, it, that's obviously a signal to some degree, but what, I mean... What are our options with this lunatic? This you talk about lunatics. This guy Man. makes Putin look like a choir boy in the you know. I mean, he makes. I mean, he's just he's he's not all there, is he? He's not all there. No, no, he, he he's crazier than his dad. British intelligence warned us that Kim Jong Un ha- suffers from severe hypertension yeah. when he took power. Plus, he's young and he's trying to prove himself to the generals because he's never been uh, a general himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so this this one really does scare me. It mm. really does. It does it does me too. It does me yeah. too. So what's what's the answer to this one? I mean, everybody says, "Well, we're going to send force out." The-. I mean, what what does that mean? We we can't do any force against North Korea. What the hell are we going to do? Right. I mean, I know. I mean, well, there's what- cyber attacks. Uh, to Obama's credit, there were we were doing cyber attacks on North Korea, and that's why their missiles were failing. We'd have them blow up and, and okay. mess up in air. Um, so we could do more of that. The, but the three options that, and I think this was a strategic leak done on purpose so the North Koreans would know about it, but according to the leaks, the three options that have been presented to Trump because he asked for the most aggressive options available, the three were put nuclear weapons in South Korea. I see no upside to that. The second was work with South Korea to can't do covert operations that sabotage the North Korean infrastructure and things like that. Might do that. Very risky, though. Um, and then the other option, and this is why I think it was a strategic leak, was to kill Kim Jong-un. I mean, that that's a pretty dramatic message. And I, I think 
it's probably smarter from Trump's vantage point to just leak that in the press so it's taken seriously without saying it publicly or calling him on the phone and saying, hey, I might kill you. What do you think about that strategy? And I'm, I'm not I'm not being a smart guy here. Right. What, do you, what do you think about that strategy in in um, I, and I know we're not supposed to as a country. I mean, we all know that there, we're supposed to have laws on the books and all this nonsense or whatever. But what do you think about taking him out? I wouldn't rule it out. There's, I mean, there's obviously a part of me when this country has 80 to 120,000 people in concentration camps, there's part of me that says, let's just kill the guy and then deal with the aftermath later. But the, the analyst part of me says, uh, just don't do it. The, the intelligence is poor on North Korea. There's just too many variables. We just, we just can't do it. Um, but what I do like is testing this posture because even under the Bush administration, we never talked to North Korea like we're doing now. It was always, you better stop building nukes. Now let's talk about an aid package or we're going to sanction you. There's never been this moment where we gave a credible threat of military force. So the White House saying, hey, guess what? The clock ran out on the North Korean nuclear program, which is an exact quote. Mm -hmm. And then doing this after hitting the site in Syria, uh, that's uncharted waters. And when I'm looking to try something new that's safe, that's the only option that comes to mind is to try this approach. See, I think we missed a real opportunity out there, Ryan. And I, you know what that was? I think the ambassador that we should have had involved in that country is Dennis Rodman. I know. I know. I mean, he was a perfect hey, ambassador. It worked, right? It, I mean, it worked. It worked. It worked. I mean, at least he, at least he got in there. He got in there, and he should have been our Im- official ambassador. I mean, he was making more headway than any of them, and uh, he was having a grand old time at all the arena events and everything. And, you know, Kim Jong-un was like, uh, you know, just high-fiving them, and they were out on the town and, you know, just having a having a grand old time. It ought to be very interesting. Do you think uh, Xi Jinping can be any help with this North Korea business, or is this just a fairy tale? I think he can be because in the past there's been reports of China getting very angry with North Korea and forcing them to alter their behavior when there's been when they've acted overly aggressive, um, that China's had concern that they're not able to puppeteer them as much as possible. If Japan and South Korea start talking about developing nuclear weapons, that has strategic consequences for China. So that'll worry them. But as for the Dennis Rodman thing, I, I mean, it makes sense, and I don't think this is what's, you know, we have a strategy for this, but it makes sense to get a guy in there that is friendly, but does it somewhat deceptively, and then after gets an audience among the North Korean people, starts talking about the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let me break that down for our listeners here. What Ryan is saying is we need to get somebody in there that's a little cocoa for Cocoa Puffs, uh, like Dennis right. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> right. Something like that, Ryan, but... Uh, it is interesting. I don't know what's going to happen with uh, with that, but uh, China is another one. Uh, are we going to have a good relationship? Will Xi Jinping, it was kind of interesting they met down at Mar-a-Lago. I was surprised they met there and not the White House, but China actually requested that, I understand, right? I actually don't know about that. That'd be interesting that they'd want to go. Maybe they just want to have more fun. Yeah, China. Maybe it's, maybe it's nicer. I don't. I don't know. Well, I they been requested it to keep just a more comfortable environment. The the people who set it up in China actually requested that, that which is now they're calling the Southern White House. Uh, you know, <laughs> have you heard that term? It's what they're calling it now. No, that's yeah. the first time I've heard that. They're calling it the that's Southern funny. White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see that now. I got, I had a couple things on uh, on uh, Mr. Strategy here, so that's uh... a. <laughs> does Does Trump make money off of that though? I, I guess he does. I wonder. Well, I guess he does. Yeah, it's a lot of publicity there, man. I mean. 
mean, a lot of security down there, but that's what they're calling it. And uh, Xi Jinping, I, I hear him and his people actually requested that, interestingly enough, to get out of the Washington uh, uh, bubble there, I guess, more or less. Uh, but uh, it is interesting what's happened there. And, uh, of course, he has said a lot of bad things about uh, China and Xi Jinping, and I don't know how how you build fences there. Can you, can you imagine being a fly in the wall with Xi Jinping and Donald Trump talking in the room there, brother? Can you imagine? I, I, can, I can imagine it because I did uh, on the day that we struck Syria. And I was like, I'm pretty sure what happened was that Trump gave his order for food. And then he said, yeah, and I'd like a By side way, order of yeah. 59 tomahawks. Would yes, you like sir. any? Yes, yeah, it. By the way, yeah. Could you see that? And could you see Xi Jinping saying back to him, "Back off, fella. You better stop insulting." I was like, I, I, "No, I, I actually, just... I can't." I can see him just saying, "Okay." What, Xi Jinping? Yeah, I just can't imagine him talking back, and just I, I just can't envision that. That's why China's response was, hey, we oppose the, the use of chemical weapons on civilians also. The Chinese were very meek about this. I know. I know. They were. But, I mean, but who's calling the shots out there? Is it their empire? It's not Xi Jinping. Who is it then that's calling the shots? Is it the uh, – the, the, My understanding know? is that the president of China actually does hold real power. I mean, behind him he has the – Communist Party apparatus and then all their right. businesses and everything. Um, but my understanding is that he actually does call the shots. It's not just a uh, ceremonial post. Right. And I believe you're right. I believe he does as well. Yeah. So uh, so finally, your final verdict for Trump's foreign policy, scale of one to ten. Where do you think we go and how optimistic are you, brother? I, I will never predict where he goes after what, what just happened. Um, but uh, on a scale of one to ten about uh, how happy I am right now, on foreign policy, I mean, I'll give it a eight or a nine. Wow. A couple of days ago, I would have said a ten uh, because of the because of the Syria strike. I mean, that just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm still trying to fathom it because I'm so surprised it happened. Yeah. Well, what brought it down a notch to do to a t- today is probably Tillerson coming out making the, some dumb comments that he made. That's one of the things about this administration that you've already said they can't seem to get on the same page, the same sheet of music, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a type of dumb thing, though, that I've gotten kind of used to just from the Trump campaign even and politicians in general. But I mean, especially, you know, when the Trump campaign started rolling and he would just kind of say whatever was on his mind. And it was refreshing. But if I'm going to look at it analytically and say that was a mistake, that was a mistake. There'd be a lot of um, X marks on on his paper that I was grading. In your wildest dreams, did you ever think you would be saying the words President Donald Trump? I never thought I'd say candidate Trump. I am I'm still at that point where I'm seeing him coming down that like golden elevator and I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. I, I am still at that stage. So talk to me in four years and then I might have absorbed the fact he became president. It's like it's happening in slow motion. You can almost see him, right, Ryan Morrow? You can yes. see him coming down the escalator in slow motion and Melania Trump is to his side there, to his right. Uh, and he comes down and then he makes all these crazy statements and says things about, I think that's when he made some of the crazy statements about the wall and Mexico <laughs> and right right there. The, uh, yeah, and the, the rapist Mexican thing. And I remember thinking, all right, he's trolling because I've always made the joke, hey, look, if I was super rich, I would love to run for president, act really outrageous, put on a show and then purposely fail. 
Like that was always something I just would have loved to do. Uh, so I figured that's what he was doing because it seemed like he was having so much fun. He was. And then, but it turned out he was serious. Maybe he was kind of joking at first, and then it went to his head. I don't know. Well, I, I can't figure out his psychology at first. And and I, I, what I, I what what I understand is this: I think it was a joke at first, and I think he was going to start a new business, Ryan. And the business was going to be a comic book series of him as president. <laughs> Kids don't read anymore. Oh well, there's pictures. 